the Askell Business Brunch. Hello and welcome to the Business Brunch podcast. My name's Hayley Dunn and I'm Askell's Business Leadership Specialist. I'm Louise Hutswell. I'm Askell's Conditions of Employment Specialist. And Louise and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by a special guest on the podcast today. And that's because we want to cover a topic that we haven't covered on the podcast before. And that's that we want to talk about some of the employer engagement work that ASCOL do on your behalf as members. And so we've invited along Michael Kidd from the member support team. And you might actually recognise uh, Michael's voice because for, for those members who access the team ASCOL videos that we do on a monthly basis, the the policy team one that we do at the beginning of the month and the member support one that we do at the end of each month. Uh, Michael is an absolutely key part of the member support one. So, uh, Michael, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. Can I ask you to introduce yourself and to provide a little bit of context for our listeners about your role within ASCOL? Thanks, Hayley. So, uh, firstly, thanks for having me. Very pleased to be here and talking to you both about this. Um, So, yeah, my role is employer engagement leader, um, which in a sort of traditional, um, you know, trade union language sense, that's collective bargaining work. That's what ASCO calls our collective bargaining sort of um, team. It's employer engagement. So, basically, it's all the work we do um, on behalf of members collectively with their employer rather than where um, sort of other strand of member support where we're supporting members as individual members with their employer. So it's everything we're doing um, on behalf of large groups of members. That's a really nice sort of um, introduction. Could you, because I know you're just one sort of part of a, of a larger team within employer engagement within ASCO. Could you give us a little bit more detail about the breadth of what the employer engagement team does? Yeah, absolutely. So the employer engagement team consists of obviously myself, um, we've got two education HR policy officers um, and they sort of um, obviously, as we've seen, the number of employers in education increased from sort of somewhere in the hundreds around sort of, you know, a decade ago to now uh, comfortably into the thousands. So we've got this huge increase in the number of employers. So we do quite a bit of our engagement in a remote sense, which, um, you know, it's something that Askell's pioneered, really. Um, you know, we're, we're really sort of... Um, you know, try really hard to ensure that we've got a high level of engagement, even where we aren't necessarily able to get along to, you know, meet with employers face to face. So that's what the education HR policy officers do. And then we've also got a national negotiator who attends the sort of um, uh, collective meetings with larger multi-academy trusts, which, you know, might go across multiple geographic, you know, areas or not. They don't follow the traditional local authority boundaries necessarily. So that's how we sort of ensure we're representing members in, in those with those employers. And then also really important part of the employer engagement team is the um, uh, local representatives that we have within ASCO. So we've got something like 120 now, each of which um, serve either a single employer group or multiple employer groups. And you might notice that I'm using the term employer group now. Um, What I mean by that is that, as listeners may know, and as you both will know, we typically in education, we have what we call pooled facility time arrangements, which basically means that in its most simplest kind of way to think about it is lots of employers recognizing that they've got a statutory obligation to provide paid time off to trade union reps but actually with um, you know such a high number of trade unions operating in education rather than each employer releasing their own representatives they might say get together with a group of employers and say well let's let's all pool a bit of money together and then use that to 
you know, reimburse the employer of a representative that can act across all of us. It's quite a complicated idea, but actually, you know, can work quite simply. And basically, it's a way of trying to be efficient and economic with uh, the money that's coming into education and ensure that there's not sort of unnecessary spend on 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 that area of you know uh, from that area of budgets basically now traditionally they they would be local authorities but now we're seeing increasingly even some mats getting together and doing that sort of work themselves so that's also a really important part of our work that local representatives undertake that's great. Thanks, Michael. Um, can you explain? I'm sure some of our members listening won't, won't be aware of a lot of this work. A lot of this goes on behind the scenes. So can you just explain how this work helps or benefits uh, ASCOL members, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think it's really important to, to recognise that a lot of the work that ASCOL does relies on the fact that ASCOL is a trade union. So the fact that we are statutory consultees to various bodies and that we have a voice, you know, around lots of tables, it, you know, it, re it relies on us being seen as a trade union. So um, in that goes in a national sense at a sort of policy level, but also in, in a local sense, you know, if there's um, a redundancy consultation, perhaps, um, or something like that going on, in order for us to have an entitlement to get into the room and represent members in that context, we have to be um, seen as a trade union. We have to be recognised as a trade union. And in order to be recognised as a trade union, a key part of our work has to be the sort of collective regulation of the relationship between our members and their employers. So in a sense, that's the kind of bigger picture of where it sits. It's part of you know, what makes us a trade union is undertaking this area of work. Um, that's probably in a sort of theoretical sense how it's helpful, but in a practical sense, I think it's really helpful for members simply because, um, you know, the, quite a few of the sort of um, policies, terms and conditions, um, procedures that will be affecting the relationship between um, an ASCAL member as an employee and their employer. And that goes, you know, right up to members who are chief executives. They're still employees. They still have an employer. So they're still subject to policies and procedures. Now, often, um, you know, People want to get on with their day job. They want to concentrate on education. They don't want to be thinking about these sorts of policies. And that's where it can be really helpful that we can come in and we can support um, the process of ensuring that those policies are as good as they can be to ensure that if something does go wrong in the relationship between a member and their employer, the framework that will um, sort of kick into, you know, for, for a process to be followed is as robust and fair and friendly to our members as it possibly can be. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, could you could you explain to us a little bit around the arrangements, those working arrangements with employers and um, the recognition agreements, the churas, how those are set up and how those arrangements um, are put in place? Yeah, absolutely. So in, um, I mean, in, in, in England, traditionally in, um, industrial relations in fact it goes for all of the uk really it, it there's a kind of history of industrial relations always being undertaken in a voluntary sense so there is a statutory process by which we can become recognized by an employer as a trade union um, but really it's all about it being a voluntary relationship between us representing our members and the employer employing those members so the recognition part of it is the employer saying that rather than consulting or negotiating directly with their employees, they recognise that the sort of most effective way of ensuring, um, you know, a, a smooth and, you know, 
as with with as little industrial dispute kind of landscape as possible they recognize that the way to achieve that will be used through effective um, engagement and meaningful engagement with trade unions as representatives of their employees so vast majority of the time behind that relationship there'll be a written formal agreement which is a trade union recognition agreement and that will set out the relationship that the trade unions expect to have with the employer and it will set out the relationship that the employer expects to have with the trade unions um, now often there you know there can be a you know quite a few sort of misconceptions about this and it's seen as sort of um by by some as somehow you know perhaps handing power to trade unions or something like that but actually in reality it's not that um you know most of the time in education um you know prior to academization the local authority so the employer would have recognized trade unions and had that relationship um and when that school academizes or you know is rebrokered to another academy trust the recognition generally speaking travels with those employees so there still is a relationship the purpose of the recognition agreement is simply to set out fresh so we can all see how how is this relationship going to work um, and most of the time rather than contributing to any problems in fact i'd go as far as to say all the time a recognition agreement will help to um, you know, reduce the number of problems and reduce the number of disputes because simply because it lets us all know it's it's kind of like um, you know letting us know what are the rules of the game that we're engaging in rather than just having a kind of free for all and you know anyone can do whatever they want. We all know well you know there are some limitations on how both sides will 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 behave and some expectations from how both sides will expect the other side to behave. Yeah, it's a bit like the policy, isn't it? That framework so that you know, uh, you know, and how you're operating it within there. And all parties know that. That that's really helpful. Yeah, and the other thing I would add is that when we when we um, the sort of process of reaching one of those recognition agreements um, is is a you know it's one of not a huge number of actual negotiations that we enter into collectively. So most of the time. Um, once we've got that framework set up, we, we won't be engaging in a huge amount of negotiation. There will be elements of it from time to time, but most of the time it's rather than that, it's a consultation. So we're saying, you know, the employer might, you know, uh, you know, be developing some changes to a policy. They'll bring them to those changes to the trade unions to see what the trade unions think about them. And we'll propose, you know, some comments will say don't agree with that or we do agree with that or we think that this could be worded better like that or something like that um, and then in a consultation sense the the obligation on the employer isn't necessarily to have to do everything that the trade unions have said but rather to um, you know either do it or explain why it might be choosing not to do it um, it you know that would sort of qualify it as a meaningful consultation and you know so through that sense you know again it comes back to saying so what do we expect that consultation to look like what are the sort of time frames and everything like that and so that's really the purpose behind the recognition agreement is it will allow us to engage in that later work in a much you know less inflammatory way you know in, in a way that's really to the benefit of everyone involved it sounds like a really really positive 
process over overall, Michael, but something that's quite um, complex in nature as well. And I should imagine that particularly over the last couple of years, as, as we've all been going through the, the pandemic, that actually there's probably been, um, from particularly from the employer's side, really welcoming, I would imagine, that challenge and advice and support from a union perspective. And I was just thinking, I, I wonder if you could share some sort of specific examples of the types of the key policies that you consulted on to give us more of an idea of what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, absolutely can. I mean, and one point I would just make, I think you're absolutely right to highlight that, you know, throughout times of, you know, really challenging periods, such as the pandemic in, in an employment sense, you know, the start of the pandemic when, you know, everyone's kind of panicking and wondering what's going to happen. Um, I think it's really interesting that we can look back now and we can reflect on the fact that actually there was, you know, a much lower level of industrial disputes, uh, certainly in education, than we might have seen, you know, historically in similar times of national crisis. And I think that, you know, I mean, an example of that is actually if you compare the number of um, strikes there were in the, you know, the first few months of the Second World War, for example, versus the number of strikes that there are uh, that we can look back on now at the start of the pandemic. And Yes, probably major contribution to that is how difficult it is now for trade union members to take industrial action. But also on a more in a more positive sense, I think, you know, we can see that that's because we have such good, robust relationships, you know, that actually both sides challenge the other. And, you know, we have healthy conversations and debates about what's best for members and, and employees in order to be able to, um, you know, in, ensure that things don't sort of you know flare up unless unless they really you know are pushed to it um but in terms of you know the sort of key policies that we're consulted on i suppose that you know the the core ones really um would be uh disciplinary capability and grievance you know th those are the sort of three core ones that we're looking at all the time and actually taking um capability at the start of the pandemic we, you know we we were able to agree mechanisms to ensure that you know actually processes that might have been really robust and fair in a non-pandemic situation could be tweaked and to ensure that you know employers were able to still ensure you know that the correct things were happening you know in their in their schools but also that from an em employee's perspective from a member's perspective that unreasonable expectations weren't being put on them that you know they couldn't possibly you know live up to which might have been reasonable in a non-pandemic sense but now that we were in a pandemic wouldn't wouldn't work you know so that's the kind of you know i suppose the importance of having that you know relationship sort of set up all the time so it's constantly running Louise, can I just bring you in here? Because I think this is something that, that you get involved in. So I'd be really interested to hear your examples as well. Yeah, I, I, my role, I kind of, although I'm part of the policy team, I do, I, I consider myself an honorary member of the employer engagement team as well. Um, I do review um, pay policies that come into us um, and perform, so often performance management as well. So I look at those and also uh, with some of the large employers that maybe don't follow the STPCD, um, we do negotiate with them on an individual basis over pay. So work with uh, Michael closely on uh, looking at the joint union pay claims that go in for that. So um, and it's it's about you know just trying to get the best 
terms and conditions and those key employment policies that benefit our members. And, you know, a lot of the information we can share with uh, with employers is really helpful to them at times as well, because we do this, you know, we we review these policies day in, day out, whereas they only put one together for each of those things. So actually the experience that we've got and the information we can share with them is really helpful. So, you know, we do get an an awful lot of positive feedback from employers that the, the comments that we've provided and the suggestions we've made, they've been really helpful and they've, you know, they've been taken on board. So it's a really positive experience. And I think my, what Michael said about the way we do it remotely, that the employers send their policies through to us, we review them, send them back with comments. And then either our local reps or uh, regional officers might take those and they'll be discussed in a, a JNC, a joint negotiating council meeting, or they might just go back to the employer remotely, uh, electronically, and then, you know, that, that that's still a meaningful consultation. So that's the kind of work that I'm involved in as well day to day. And Louise, just to um, pick that a little bit more in terms of a timeline, say if we've got um, a business leader who is perhaps moving into a role within a trust and they might be getting involved in, in this sort of work, how long does it generally take if you're going to review a policy, if there's going to be proper consultation, what does that time period look like? When we're working with employers that we've got recognition agreements set up with, we have a minimum uh, standard turnaround of two to three weeks. So because we do get, it's not just one policy, obviously, you know, and there's particular times of the year, particularly like when STPCD has been updated or the NJC pay awards been agreed, everybody decides that they're, they're going to update their policies. So, you know, we've we've got to try and manage that that work through the capacity that we can handle. So that's normally what we do. Sometimes we, we could turn them around quicker if it's, in a, you know, a desperately urgent situation but we generally try and get those timetabled in. In, in in the employees where it works really well there will be a schedule throughout the year that we're aware of and that's been agreed and you probably be looking at you know a month turnaround for that so that gives plenty of time for that consultation to take place and it to be done a really thorough some of these documents are quite long quite complex and it's something that you need to spend you know an adequate amount of time on. Yeah and, and actually the other thing I would add to that is that where we have um, I mean you know a lot of listeners I would imagine you know would be thinking well what about the time when I just want to make the smallest little tweak to a policy perhaps to you know perhaps something like a small change to the code of conduct to reflect something that's been changed in keeping children safe in education or something like that now of course if you don't have a framework set up for consultation with trade unions and you're seeking to just make a small amendment then you can easily see how something like that can flare up into you know sort of trade union reps perhaps seeing it as something like well actually what's really going on here is something being snuck in the back door or something like that whereas actually if we have the um you know recognition agreement and we have a you know a joint negotiating committee set up we can actually have that relationship you know we can build a relationship of trust between the trade union reps and the employer and then you can make those additional sort of smaller tweaks outside of a larger policy consultation without it causing any problems you know it's just sort of um you know, we all know where everyone's coming from and we know that those tweaks are necessary from time to time. I think those sort of uh, top tips and advice and guidance will be really, really useful for our listeners. Is there anything else along those lines and sort of examples of best practice, perhaps through collective bargaining or the joint union approach that, that you can share with our listeners? I suppose the um, the top tip, I think, really, the m- most important thing from my perspective is simply to you know talk to the trade unions at the earliest possible stage of these sorts of consultations and most of the time 
you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything will be sort of, you know, given away or anything like that. It just simply means that trade unions will be able to assure themselves that a meaningful consultation has taken place and that they're able to, um, you know, reassure their members that they were part of the process and, and that they've had a voice in it. You know, sometimes that means the outcome will change. Sometimes it means the outcome may not change, you know, but the reality is that the most important thing is that, you know, as the representatives of groups of employees, the trade unions are part of those conversations, I think. It sounds like the sort of the constructive uh, conversation element is most important. Is there anything you'd like to add, Louise? Yeah, I, I think completely agree with what Michael's just said. Um, and I think I, one of my top tips would just be to allow sufficient time, you know, Policy, certain policies will always be reviewed at certain points in the year. So you've, you need to really be time, doing your timeline back from that to allow time for that really meaningful consultation to take place. And it becomes conversational to a point, you know, that you're going back with comments and an employer explaining to you why they want to do something a certain way. And we can give our view on that. But also, I think one of the, the areas that we do work on um, that's uh, the joint union approach that sometimes is not just through individual employees. That's something that we do between our, the joint unions. We come up with joint union guidance. There's a joint union guidance that we do on teachers' pay. And we've also just recently negotiated and agreed a joint union protocol for um, dealing with the management of long COVID that we're hoping to get employers to sign up to uh, as individual employers that just, you know, is something we've all the unions have come together just to get the best for those people that are in that situation because it's such a unique situation as a result of the pandemic uh, you know so there are things like that that go on all the time we you know we work together to try and put the, the, the more we can get together as unions and have that united front that it's one body that the employer then is negotiating with that, that and it, it's it's almost presenting you know well all these all these employer represent employee representatives think that this is the best way to go actually you know you, you're giving them that that kind of guidance and that uh, pointing them in the right direction so hopefully that that is something that's really helpful to employers as well as being for the benefit of all our members uh, yeah and I, I totally agree with that and another I was just thinking while you were talking Louise another example I think recently that shows the strength of this joint union work is the um, issues that emerged around um, indexation for in the teachers pension scheme where yeah. actually because the trade unions had, you know, sort of, you know, had published this joint letter that, you know, proposed solutions to solve this problem. Um, but actually, because as I touched on earlier, we've now got so many employers in education, that actually the challenge of ensuring that everyone who needed to know about that from an employer perspective knew about it, the challenge is absolutely astronomical. I mean, it's it's just really huge of getting that message across. Through us all working together, we were able to ensure that, you know, as, as many employers as possible, you know, were on top of that problem and able to solve it in the way they were, in the way they ended up choosing to. And, you know, it was interesting that, you know, I, I was finding sort of after three or four months of talking to people, I would still bring it up in a, in a JNC and say, just for clarity, can we just check what's the position on this and, and discover in some cases that would be the first they'd heard about it. So again, it shows, I think, you know, a good example of how sometimes talking to the trade unions will simply bring things to your attention that, as an employer that perhaps you weren't aware of before. Yeah, completely agree. That's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, thank you both Michael and Louise for, for sharing your insights on that. And I hope our listeners have found that interesting. Huge thanks for joining us and we'll be back soon. 
the Askell Business Brunch. 